Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast. Now I've recorded a number of podcasts on particular diseases and conditions, uh, some infective disorders, some that are genetic and there's one that has really always fascinated me and it's one that my own students ask me about uh, quite a lot and it's, it's one that I don't think is really very well understood. Now, most people recognise arthritis as being a, a painful condition in sore joints, but rheumatoid arthritis is its one of those conditions a lot of people have heard of, but don't necessarily understand fully what it involves. And so that's why I wanted to record this particular podcast today. I wanted to talk about rheumatoid arthritis, its symptoms and signs, the diagnosis of the condition, the long-term prognosis and then delve a bit into the patient management. So look at things like drugs and medication that, be, that can be given for sufferers of the condition. Now, I think it's also important to talk about actually the incidence of rheumatoid arthritis and just how many people are affected by this debilitating disease. So let's explain, first of all, what the condition actually is. Well, rheumatoid arthritis, or RA, as it's medically often shortened to, is a chronic inflammatory disease, mainly affecting the small synovial joints of the hands, the wrists, the feet, elbows and ankles. Now, these are the freely movable joints, where the ends of the adjoining bones are covered in a synovial membrane that lubricates the junction. Rheumatoid arthritis may be prolonged and is typified by periods of exacerbation followed by remission. The commonest physical symptoms are aches, uh, pain, stiffness, just general fatigue, weight loss and tiredness due to anemia. As other systems in the body, the lungs, spleen and kidneys may also be involved. The condition is sometimes termed rheumatoid disease or RD. Now, further effects of rheumatoid disease may include vasculitis, so things like inflammation of the arteries, anemia, dry eyes and lack of saliva, scleritis, which is inflammation of the whites of the eye, anything ultimately ending in itis is inflammation, pericarditis, which is inflammation of the heart membrane, peripheral nerve disease, kidney disease, and in fact, enlargement of the spleen. Now, synovial joints are affected progressively in rheumatoid arthritis, although the severity of symptoms varies. The condition begins with acute inflammation of the synovial membrane, and that can then lead to progressive inflammation, destruction of cartilage and osteoporosis, or loss of bone tissue. As the inflammation subsides, the pain lessens, but eventually tissue begins to form across the joint space. Now, in the severest cases, the tissue ossifies into these bony bridges, and that causes further incapacity. Let's talk in a bit more detail about the initial signs and symptoms. Because rheumatoid arthritis is characterised by painful swelling of those small joints, of, as I said, the hands, the feet, wrists, ankles, but also of the cervical spine, as in the neck. Pain occurs less commonly in the shoulders, elbows and hips, interestingly. Symmetrical distribution of pain is a reliable rheumatoid arthritis indicator. Fluid in the joint, known as articular effusion, and wasting muscles around the affected joints often accompanies the inflammation. Any synovial joint at all may be affected by swelling, stiffness and hot, painful red joints. 
as the disease progresses, cartilage, bone and ligament damage occur, producing the deformities that are typically seen in long-standing destructive rheumatoid arthritis. So those specific deformities include things like carpal tunnel syndrome or numbness and a pain in the hand, a swelling of the knuckles and of the wrist joints, swelling of the interphalangeal joints or spindling of the fingers, trigger finger, so basically an inability to straighten them, tendon inflammation, so ten, tenosynovitis as it's referred to, and you may find subcutaneous nodules, are, or, which are ultimately like tender underskin swellings basically of like fibrous tissue, that's the best way to describe them, commonly appear just on the arm. But how do we actually go about diagnosing this condition for someone? Well, the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis requires a very careful study of the patient's medical history and a clinical examination. There's several tests that are performed to aid an accurate diagnosis. Lab tests, well, lab blood tests specifically, will highlight any indicators of disease activity, something known as a rheumatoid factor. Blood counts for anemia. X-rays of the hands and of the wrists, the feet and the ankles. And you can look for characteristic changes, revealing the synovial destruction and bone erosion that I've mentioned. Chest X-rays could actually indicate heart and lung involvement too. There are commonly agreed criteria for clinically diagnosing rheumatoid arthritis. Four of the following factors must be present in a patient. So morning stiffness for an hour or more over a period of at least six weeks. Symmetrical arthritis for at least six weeks. Arthritis of three or more joint areas for at least six weeks. Those rheumatoid nodules that I've referred to. Bone changes on x-ray. Or the presence of what's called rheumatoid factor in the blood serum. After a single episode of rheumatoid arthritis, 30% of sufferers recover. But sadly, 65%, up to around 65%, we believe, become chronic cases. And 5% develop severe disease and disability. The clinical course of rheumatoid arthritis is variable. And regular supervision of patients is required to identify the prognostic factors that are important in planning treatment and management. So things like a failure to respond to non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs, N-S-A-I-D-S. Poor functional uh, capability. Radiological or x-ray signs such as bone erosion. Development of signs of rheumatoid disease such as uh, anemia, vasculitis, nodules, scleritis and high levels of this rheumatoid factor in the blood serum. Careful assessment of these factors will dictate suitable levels of therapy and specific treatments ultimately to be formulated. So let's talk a bit more detail in terms of the management, patient management. Well, the patient and their family really need to understand the nature of rheumatoid arthritis and how it will affect them. They also need to understand the treatment regime, but importantly be reassured that the progression of the disease may be slowed or halted with the appropriate medication. Available treatments include physical and drug measures. So physiotherapy helps to maintain joint integrity and muscle function. Rest, 
exercise, hydrotherapy and heat treatment all have a part to play in treating patients. Occupational therapy is an important part in maintaining as normal life as possible. It assists with day-to-day living and activities and patients will be given advice on work, household aids, home appliances and orthotics or surgical support. Now all of those are really, really important resources. Specific therapy is given to alleviate pain, to act on the inflammation and to modify immunological events leading to inflammation. Patient may be treated with varying levels of drug therapy, termed first, second and third line therapy according to the severity of the disease and its response to treatment. Surgery may be used for pain relief, for improving function and to correct any obvious deformity. Now that may be by immobilising a damaged joint or joint reconstruction in the hands and fingers for example, often using replacement joints. Overuse of an inflamed joint can be aggravating, but supports may provide relief. But prolonged use of supports can actually result in really marked stiffness. I want to just talk in a bit more detail about very specific drugs and medication that can be used for rheumatoid arthritis. So analgesics such as aspirin, paracetamol and codeine really help to relieve the pain of the condition. Corticosteroids, including prednisolone, are really quite potent anti-inflammatory drugs. They're the best used uh, ones to treat complications such as vasculitis and the lung problems. The NSAIDs, or the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, are widely used in drug therapy and, and include things like naproxen, things, things that we, we've all heard of, ibuprofen. Um, but the thing is, care must be taken with them to avoid any indigestion and GI or gastrointestinal bleeding. Disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMRDs, are believed to affect the disease process, although exactly how they work is, is not overly clear yet. They're best started soon after diagnosis under very specialist advice, and it may take around 6-12 to 12 weeks before any kind of beneficial response appears. DMRDs include compounds of gold, by injection or in tablet form, methotrexate, penicillamine and hydrochloric I apologies, it's quite a long word. Hydroxychloroquine. Apologies, a bit of a mouthful there. Um, it's actually an anti-malarial drug, would you believe? Now, that latter one requires monitoring for visual defects, so sort of ocular toxicity. All DMRDs require regular monitoring of urine and blood for the signs of toxicity. There's also a uh, drug out there called azathioprine. And there's so it basically it's an immunosuppressant and it's specific against autoimmune disorders. And studies have shown that that may prove to be effective against rheumatoid arthritis, again, under very careful supervision and management. In the UK, rheumatoid arthritis actually affects 5% of women, around 2% of men. It's more common in females by a ratio of 2 to 3 two or three roughly to one the peak incidence is between the ages of about 35 and 55 in women and roughly 40 to 60 in men and the onset of rheumatoid arthritis is more common in winter and there is an increased incidence in families patients may require medical supervision for years by a team of specialists who educate treat and support so here we're talking about specialist nurses 
occupational therapists, physiotherapists, social workers, doctors, and even orthopaedic surgeons. There is an increasing use of liaison nurses working in primary care together with the hospital rheumatology departments. So having gone through all of these things about rheumatoid arthritis, what actually fundamentally is its cause? Well, research has suggested a number of potential causes for rheumatoid arthritis, including infection by microorganisms, autoimmune tissue destruction, which the basically the body's antibodies attack its own tissue, and genetic susceptibility. Experimental evidence exists to support all of those, but conclusive proof is still awaited. Now, because of the nature of rheumatoid arthritis and the lack of knowledge about its causes, there is no known method for preventing the onset of the disease. However, as hopefully I've uh, alluded to in this podcast, much can be done to control rheumatoid arthritis and alleviate its effects through therapy. So we have just a short kind of introduction, if you like, to this really fascinating but clearly debilitating condition. If anyone listening has any questions, get in touch at kitaspology at gmail.com. And all that remains for me to say is a big thank you to everybody for listening. Until next time. <laughs>